Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Coffee, and she has five birth stories to share with us. So, Coffee, before we jump into those, do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Sure. My name is Coffee. Um, it uh, is my real name. It was my grandmother's maiden name. I live in Texas with my husband and our five kids. Um, I'm an anesthesia provider. I'm a nurse anesthetist. Um, and I do plastic surgery a couple days a week. And I also do labor and delivery for one day a week. So I'm the sole provider in a hospital uh, nearby. So I'm there for 24 hours, one day a week, just doing epidurals and C-sections. And I just love birth. So it's, uh, it's cool to be able to do that. And what a cool perspective to work in that area too, and then have your different birth experiences that you have as well. Exactly. Yeah. And it definitely has, you know, it's been interesting navigating those worlds, but yeah. So I'll just jump right in. Yeah. You can just take us wherever you feel like you want to start. Cool. Um, So my oldest, um, we got pregnant. My husband and I were seniors in college in Austin and we had a, a surprise pregnancy our senior year. And, um, my husband was a little shocked. My boyfriend at the time, my husband now was a little shocked when I told him, but we quickly became excited about it. Um, it worked out where I was going to graduate. We were both going to graduate and then the baby would be due a couple months after that. So it just, it worked out well, but we were in college and I was a bartender and he worked like worked retail. So we were, um, we definitely didn't have money and we signed up for Medicaid and were able to get a provider through Medicaid, but there's not a lot of shopping around that you can do with your provider when you're going through Medicaid. And I didn't really know what I wanted as far as like my birth philosophy. I knew that I was going to have a vaginal birth. That was for sure. So in all of the readings that I did every time um, it would bring up C-section, I was like, well, I don't really need to know that that's not going to happen to me. And because my, my mom had had all four of us uh, vaginally and easily and didn't even have an epidural with a few of us. So I thought, well, that's just how it's going to be for me. So yeah, I went through the OBGYN that was closest to my house, which was still very far away. And she seemed nice enough. And we went to all of our appointments. And at one point, probably around 39 weeks, um, she started talking about induction. I, my mother was also induced with all four of us. So I thought, well, that's just normal, you know, for me and it's normal for everybody. So I'll just be induced. And at that point, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm like an average frame person, but I had gained 60 pounds all in ice cream. I think, um, (laughs) I told myself that, you know, I was 22. I'm like, I'm pregnant. What you're supposed to do is just eat ice cream. So, you know, we just sit on the couch and eat a bunch of ice cream every night. And I was not moving very much, not working out. 
and I had switched, obviously I wasn't bartending anymore. So I was working at a bank and just a very sedentary, um, lifestyle with that pregnancy. So, yeah, so that's where I was physically. So when we got to the induction, I think she waited until 40, 40 plus, maybe 40 plus four before she admitted us for induction. And we were super excited and went and had our, you know, special little meal and went in for the cervidil or cytotec, whatever it was that they'd used the night before uh, to soften my cervix, you know, slept through the night. And the next morning they were like, well, you're probably going to contract tonight and we'll get some change in movement. And then in the morning we'll reassess. So in the morning they reassessed and there was absolutely no change. I was high and tight, thick. It was as if I was, you know, like 30 weeks pregnant. That was nowhere near having a baby. And that was after their first induction medication. So they said, okay, we're going to try this one more time. We're going to do another dose or another type. So they did it, you know, whatever it was that they were doing at the time again, and another few hours passed. And again, nothing changed at all. Maybe it was a little bit soft, something. Um, so they said, okay, let's, let's start Pitocin. Let's just get your, get your, um, uterus contracting. So I, uh, was on the Pitocin. I was trying to be as natural as I could. I really didn't want to have an epidural just because I wanted to experience birth. And so I was walking in the halls, even after I was on the Pitocin, which, um, I don't see a lot now, uh, but they would let me walk the halls and go off the monitor. And I was doing that for a very long time. And I, I think I may have gotten to, you know, three centimeters by the time they checked me next. And they said, okay, we really want to try to get things moving along. So we're going to uh, break your water. Like, you know, I'm again, I'm 22. I don't, I don't know what's good and what's bad. All I know is that I trust these doctors. That's their job is to do right by me. You know, I thought I assumed. And so they broke my water and not much really changed. The baby was very, very high and I wasn't getting any cervical pressure to make that change. Also, my body just wasn't in labor and all of this was really being forced on me. So nothing really happened. So this is probably two days now that we'd been in the hospital and they said, we think that you're just really tense. And that's the reason the baby can't drop and that your labor isn't progressing. So I really think that it would be best if you just got the epidural and then you could just relax and sleep and let this baby, you know, work his way down. And then, you know, you'll have your birth, whatever. And by then I was exhausted and I was in so much pain. A, a day of Pitocin and when you're not in labor at all is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and just yeah. not being, I mean, you're in a different setting. There's people coming in and out, I'm sure, checking on you. It's not like you can sleep super well in a hospital. It's right. super, Even if you're not in full-blown labor, that is super exhausting. Exactly. So I got my epidural felt great about doing it. Um, it's so funny. My husband still describes to me, he'll describe the way that the anesthesiologist or the nurse anesthetist came in. He said, it was like, they were unsheathing the sword from their back and like jamming it in my back. He was like, the hugest, the hugest needle I've seen in my life. And I'm like, I, I do this every day. Like I know how big the needle is. He's like, no, 
Yours was bigger. It was terrifying. <laughs> Whenever there's dads in the room, I'm like, are you sure you want to be here for this? Like, I'm all about <laughs> having the dad there for everything, but I'm like, just there could be some scarring. So just um, yeah. So I got my epidural. I slept for a while. And again, no, no change, of course. And so my OBGYN came in, you know, very grave look on her face. She was like, we're going to try our last ditch effort. And she inserted a fully you know, into my cervix and then expanded the balloon. So, you know, a fully catheter, like you would put in a urethra for urine, only putting it in the cervix. Then you expand the balloon to act as that head pressure and, um, try to trick your cervix into thinking that it's the head there. And then, you know, all the natural, uh, progression will begin from there. And we left that in overnight and the next morning she pulled it out and I was five centimeters, which is actually about as big as the, you know, the balloon gets. So because you said you were three prior to that, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, not, nothing had really changed. We kept on like that for the rest of the day. And at that point, my, I think my water had been broken. She left it over 24 hours for sure. So then at that point, you know, there's like, oh, you, you know, the baby looks okay right now, but this could be getting bad. And we're seeing some, maybe they saw some, you know, T cells and um, maybe they saw little things here and there. Maybe my temperature was raised a little bit. I don't remember exactly what they used, but they said, it'll be the safest thing for us to go back for C-section now. Like, for some reason, your body, like a baby cannot come out through your pelvis. Like it's, it's too narrow. There's, there's just something wrong with your body and that we're not going to be able to get the baby out that way. The safest thing, if we want a healthy baby, healthy mama is to get back and do the C-section. And of course I was just devastated. And my husband crawled into bed with me and just like, we just cried. And it was, I felt like a failure, you know, like I just couldn't like, what was wrong with me? You know? And I kept thinking like, what if this was a hundred years ago? Like, would I just have died when my baby just die? Like, what do they mean? My body can't do this, you know? And I, I just was so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went, we went back for the C-section and they just dosed up my epidurals. So, um, I was shaking so bad and I could not control myself and of course that's all the neurotransmitters and hormones and everything. And, and it's freezing back there. My, um, anesthesia provider was so kind and had such a soothing voice and was there with me the whole time. And, you know, his voice is really what I remember from being back there. I don't remember seeing my baby. I remember them talking about, you know, whatever they had going on, it had nothing to do with me. It's like, I wasn't even there my husband was of course terrified and just felt like such a, like a passenger to the whole thing. Afterwards, I was out of it for a while. I guess they probably gave me something while I was back there. And I don't remember meeting my baby. I don't remember nursing him for the first time. I I don't remember the few days that we were in the hospital afterwards, other than the fact that I was, um, I was very, very swollen. They removed my Foley and I hadn't urinated in like 24 hours. So they were like, all right, we need to, and, but I was already in postpartum. So I'd left the labor and delivery unit and the postpartum nurses were trying to put a catheter in, which isn't really something postpartum nurses do very often. 
Um, so three different postpartum nurses came in and tried, and I'm just like there, you know, butterfly, you know, naked, bleeding, you know, like my milk is coming in. It was just, it was so, uh, I was so vulnerable and no, at no point was anyone like, you know, sweetheart, like I'm here for you. Like you we hold your hand, anything. It was just like, why can't, what's wrong with this? Like this thing is so small and I can't get it in, you know? And I'm like, that thing is me. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a person laying here going through all of this. Yeah. So we went home. I, um, I, I sweated out, you know, however many liters of fluid they'd given me while I was in there. I had some pretty outrageous postpartum anxiety and depression that of course I didn't really understand what it was until much later. You know, all my friends were 23 and everyone was still out being 23. And, you know, my husband, and I had a baby at home and our, we just felt very isolated and alone thank God, uh, nursing went easily for us. Breastfeeding was, was fantastic. And, um, he was just such a good baby. And around eight months after he was around eight months old, he just looked at me one day and I looked at him and he just like de-latched when we were nursing and was like, no, nah, I don't really like this anymore. Like it just got this vibe, like, nah, I'm not really into this, which was, it was so strange. I, I haven't had a baby do that since then. But like a couple of weeks later, my husband and I went out for our first like big time out after having him and went out to a bar where I used to work. And we were like, I was like, do you want to have another baby? Like this baby is so awesome. Let's do it again. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds great. You know, like thinking there would probably be a while before we had another baby. And of course, like that, you know, within that week we had made another baby. So, so it we, happened a lot quicker than anticipated. Oh yeah. There. Well, he didn't, we had never tried, you know, for our first, so we didn't know how, you know, how easily or how quickly it would happen. And so, yes, yeah, so they are nine months apart. And I, I feel like obviously my second son was just meant to be here. And my oldest son was like, Oh, I better stop nursing so you can get your fertility back and have me a brother or whatever. Yeah. The timing of that is kind of incredible. Just the way that that played out. I know it's funny. So, um, I have ahead. to ask too, sorry. Um, <laughs> how were you feeling about like going through the birth process again after having everything that happened with the C-section the first time, like even if you're wanting another baby and everything, was there a little bit of anticipation about going through labor and birth again? So I, um, I'm very good about convincing myself of things and, and compartmentalizing and explaining things to myself. And the explanation that I had given myself and everyone was, I just can't have a baby vaginally. Like my kids have to be cut out and then I get these awesome, perfect kids and it's fine. Like, that's just, that's just how my body works. And I had totally just dealt with that and, um, or thought I had dealt with it. So I was totally prepared to just have a repeat section. And I knew that it would be different because I wouldn't go in trying to induce labor. So that made it, that made it a lot easier. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like after 
everything that happened to having like the control and the say over the situation like okay this time i'm gonna choose to go in and i'm gonna choose to have the c-section instead of like walking through all these different interventions and things that happened because it seemed like there wasn't a lot of control in that first situation do you feel like that played into it at all definitely definitely it was it, it was it was great actually my with my second we found um, both of us had really good jobs and we had good insurance and we found a provider that was close to our um, house that we had just bought. And the very first thing he said, I, I went in there and I was like, Hey, you know, here's what happened with our last baby. And he said, okay, well, after hearing that, I would definitely say that you cannot um, have a vaginal birth. He's like, people try it. And if you try it, you know, you could die. The baby could die. There's just like, it's terrible. And then he looked at my husband and he said, I would never let my wife do this. Oh, and geez. yeah. And both of us were like, Ooh, scared straight, you know, like, Ooh, we never want to do that. No, we don't want to die. So let's just, let's just schedule the C-section right now. So, um, we went through all of the pregnancy, just, you know, expecting, the C-section and being ready for it. So, uh, with that pregnancy, I, you know, I think I gained an average amount of weight, but again, I wasn't working out. I wasn't, you know, doing anything to try to facilitate having, you know, a, a different size baby. My first baby was eight pounds, 15 ounces or 14 ounces. One of the two, he's pretty big. And, um, our, with our son, our second son, he was 39 weeks when we scheduled the C-section and we just went in early in the morning and, um, you know, they start your IV and they're so nice and you fill out your paperwork and then they just take you back to the operating room. The anesthesia provider puts in a spinal, super easy. It's nothing at all. Like, you know, dosing up an epidural and, having a spinal for anesthesia for a C-section are very different. And the spinal, it's a much denser block. It works uh, more quickly and better. And so like usually people, when they talk about their repeat C-sections, they're like, oh, this feels so much better. It feels so much different. You know, there's no hot spots or like weird little feelings down there. So it was just, it was great. You know, we got our baby and it was very transactional. You know, we finished the C-section, go back to our room get our baby and go home. And it's what I expected. And it's what I, I wanted, you know, if the alternative was everyone dying and I went home and I just had absolutely outrageous postpartum anxiety. Uh, my oldest son was 18 months old when my second son was born. It was February and it was very cold in Austin and it just snowed for a while and it was icy and cold and this little baby. And I just stayed in this cocoon in my room watching nine seasons of rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> Which truly is what you should be doing, but not in a way that you feel like you can't do anything else. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. resting and snuggling your baby and being in your own little cocoon is great for postpartum, but not not if it's because you feel too anxious or worried or there's a bunch of other things going on that you're feeling like you can't get out and do anything else. Exactly. And it, it um, I just felt so like shaky in my body and, 
sad and I just felt like something was wrong. And I felt like this baby was just an, like an alien to me. Like I, I didn't know him, you know, I, people talk about, you see your baby and it's love at first sight. Well, I was totally out of it when I had my first and with the second, it was just like, they hand me this little stranger and I already had this son that I was crazy about. And I'm like, who's this guy? You know, like I don't, I don't have this immediate bond to this baby at all. And it really, it was probably a couple of months of that of just like, I love this person and I'll do anything to protect him, but I'm not, I'm not bonded to this baby, you know? And I feel like so much of that is oxytocin. And so much of that is the rush that you get from being in, in labor. And I mean, it, we're being drugged by our bodies to bond with our baby. And if you miss out on that, it's it, for me, it was, it was hard. I didn't get my, my bonding drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was a really, really hard time. And I, I didn't really understand what was happening with me still, you know, we continued on with life and I, when I had him, I was, I was back in school. I was um, going to the community college in Austin, getting my prerequisites for a nursing program. And I started the nursing program after he was born it was a master's nursing program where you spend the first year getting your RN and then the next two years getting your master's. And, um, during the RN portion in our labor and delivery portion, someone came in to lecture about, um, you know, lactation or something like that. And she mentioned at one point a VBAC and, I, you know, the only VBAC talk I'd ever had was with our second OBGYN who told me those terrible things. So I had become more and more interested in, in that subject because I, I did want to have more children, but, you know, I didn't want to have a bunch of C-sections. So I asked this woman after class if she had, you know, she'd ever heard of anybody having a VBAC after two C-sections. And she said that it was, it was difficult in the area because there weren't a lot of OBs who were down for that, but that she'd of course heard of it and that I should consult ICANN, the International Cesarean Awareness Network, which I'd never heard of, of course. And um, so I, I looked them up and I started stalking their message boards and just, you know, lurking and <laughs> reading everything that everybody wrote. Um, and seeing all these positive VBAC stories that people had, I was completely obsessed with the thought of uterine rupture. And I really, I wanted to figure out a way that I could get past that obsession. And I wanted those women to be able to like somehow help me find that peace with it and just whatever it is that makes them feel confident about having a VBAC wherever in a hospital at home, whatever, and not thinking the whole time, like, is that my uterus? Is that my uterus? You know, um, I just couldn't, that's what I, I was trying to get from that. I talked to my husband about having another baby. And at this point, our kids were probably three and two years old. And I was in the final year of that nursing program. It was in the final year of my master's program. And, uh, we timed it so that I would 
be going into labor or that we would have the baby right after I graduated. I really wanted a little girl. <laughs> and uh, if this was my last baby, if I had to have a C-section, I, I just wanted a girl. So I read all the um, all of the wives tales, but also like I looked up the shuttles method and all these other things that you can do to prime your body to make it more favorable for having um, a girl baby and really to prime the, you know, making it more hospitable or not hospitable for the sperm. I did all of those things. And then, you know, we found out we were pregnant. And then at 14 weeks, we went to one of those 3D ultrasounds and they said that, that we were having a girl. So I felt <laughs> oh, funny. Right. So I, it worked. <laughs> it did. And you know what? Like at the time I was like, maybe it's just, um, maybe it's just luck or whatever. But since then I've had two more boys. So, and I was not trying anything with these boys. So I'm like, I feel like if I hadn't really tried to do something, I would have five boys, but <laughs> yeah, something you did in there was intentional enough to, to make it a girl. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, with that pregnancy, um, after I had my second son, um, and I was in nursing school, I, went to my professor one day because I had convinced myself that I was having a pulmonary embolism. <laughs> I was like, I just can't like breathe really well. And I feel like my heart is racing a little bit. And she was like, yeah. So what you're having is a panic attack and you need to go to your doctor and get something. Um, so after realizing that I had this anxiety disorder, that was probably still some postpartum issues. Uh, I started doing Bikram yoga, which is uh, the super intense hot yoga. And that was the way that I was medicating myself and it worked really well for me. Um, so when I got pregnant with my daughter, I, you know, of course I consulted my doctor, Dr. Google. And, um, it was like, no, you should absolutely never do hot yoga when you're pregnant. You're going to boil the baby and it's the worst thing you can do. So never do that. So I switched to doing regular yoga for that pregnancy um, which I highly recommend. It was fantastic to do yoga through my pregnancy. So with our daughter, I had started seeing an OBGYN that was uh, popular with ICANN participants, ICANN people, because he was VBAC friendly. And I had talked to him about a VBAC when I was first seeing him. And he was concerned about doing it after two C-sections. And he said he needed to talk to his partners and to anesthesia because they needed anesthesia to stay in-house if you're going to be attempting a VBAC or toe locking or whatever you want to call it. That was one of our first appointments. And then around 20 weeks, we went in for the anatomy scan and he said, um, hey, I just, I want you to know like my partners don't feel comfortable with it and anesthesia doesn't want to stay. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm so sorry, but I just can't, like, I can't do the, do your feedback here. He said, but there's this midwife who kind of specializes in that for the area. And she's, I know she's done a lot of VBACs and VBACs after two C-sections at home. And I was like, what in the heck? No, that is insane. Like I, like I, that, how could I do that at home? Like my uterus can't rupture at home. Like what, uh, what would I do? So he was like, just try, you know, 
go see about it. So I went and spoke to the midwife and this, again, this is in the middle of my pregnancy and, um, brought my husband and she was just the most calming presence. And of course, everyone, you know, listening now probably knows the difference between having between an OBGYN appointment and a midwife appointment and the way that they just listen to you and put their hands on your body and like really seem to be interested in, in birth and your well-being. And that was a huge like shock to me. And it made me feel very comfortable. And it made me feel my husband, it made my husband feel very comfortable. He was pretty anti home birth. And even after that meeting, he was still pretty skeptical. And then we did quite a bit of, of research, um, about statistics. And of course, you know, again, everyone listening has probably done all of that research about how often your uterus really does rupture or what that even does look like if that were to happen and how many warning signs there are way before anything, um, really dangerous happens. And that was the other thing she talked to us about, you know, she's watching for those specific things where in the hospital, I mean, they're watching, they're watching the fetal heart tracing and that's, that's pretty much it. They're not looking at how you're feeling or, you know, how you're moving around or your body. It's, it's all the fetal heart tracing and that can't really tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we felt, we felt pretty comfortable after that and um, decided to do that. I had looked into a few different options. I say we felt comfortable, but that's really not true. I, I was still, I was still, I had a lot of fear and um, I looked into having a monitrice just watch over me at home and then just like showing up at the hospital, <laughs> you know, at, at 10 centimeters, like, oh, now I have to have a baby. I looked into laboring at my friend's house. It was right across the street from the hospital. Um, I looked into just getting a hotel room across the street from the hospital. I just had this pull like, oh, no, I have to be in the hospital because if something bad happens, I need them to, to save me because that's what I was fixated on is something bad happening. And it really took a lot of ICANN meetings and reading and feeling more faith in my, in my body and in like the strength of my uterus. And finally the conversation that made me feel 100% better about it was, you know, one, I fixate on things and we'll just talk it into the ground with my husband. And one night I was like, what, what do we do if, if this baby dies and what, what do we do if we're at home and we're having this home birth and the baby dies? And he's like, you know, that would be horrific. That would be the, you know, the worst thing, but like, that's a choice that we made to to have this home birth. And like that could happen in the hospital too. And there's no, we're not doing anything unsafe. Like we've looked at all of this research. We've looked at all these statistics. We have an amazing provider. We're close to the hospital. We aren't doing anything unsafe to make that happen. If that were to happen, it would, it, it would be something that would happen in or out of the hospital. And he's like, I'm like, would you hate me? Like, would, would you, would you blame me for this? He was like, 
I mean, this is a choice that we're making together. Like I'm, I'm with you in this completely. And it just gave me, it gave me so much peace just knowing like he is in this as much as I am. And if something happens to me or to our baby, you know, like it won't be like I did something wrong. Like I was negligent, you know, like we've, he said, we are, we have made every choice with safety in mind. And we're making this choice with safety in mind because having another C-section in the hospital (laughs) would be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because one, I think that ultimately death is a lot of people's biggest fear, whether it's like their own death or the death of a child. And of course, that's a horrific, horrible thing that like nobody ever wants to think about or imagine happening. But in birth, just like you said, it happens in the hospital too. Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about that. We only talk about like these horrible, horrible things that went wrong at home births or free births or whatever it is. And we don't ever talk about the deaths that also happen in a hospital because sometimes there really just isn't anything that anybody could have done. It would have been the same outcome regardless. And two, what you were saying about having a third C-section or women who go on to have four, five, six, seven, however many C-sections, I think I've seen stories of women women having up to 10, mm. those all come with their own their, their own risks and dangers as well. You just don't hear them talked about as much because it's seen as a way more controlled procedure where the doctor is able to like manage the situation, control the situation. But that's also not true because nothing is a guarantee and there's no guarantee that there's not going to be complications from a C-section. And there are women that have died in C-sections and babies that have died in C-sections too. That's a huge conversation to unpack, but (laughs) I'm really glad that you brought it up just even as a starting point for anyone who's listening who maybe hasn't thought about that or like gone to those depths to come to terms with that. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was my biggest hang up, obviously. And I feel like it probably is, like you said, for a lot of people, but you just don't want to say the words. And mm-hmm. I needed to say the words to like fully flesh out, like, okay, let's say worst case scenario does happen. Like what then, you know, and, and make sure that this is still the right decision. If that, if that is, and and that's what he said. That's what, that's the strength that he gave me. Like we are, we are making this choice with safety in mind. So that's we were ready. Time. Yeah. We, I have uh, to note too, sorry. <laughs> oh, I have oh. to note too, that it's kind of incredible that the OB that you had seen was the one who referred you to this midwife. Cause you don't hear that a lot either of OBs referring you to a home birth midwife to have a VBAC at home after two C-sections. No, he's so funny. He, um, he kind of had a breakdown in the middle of our conversation. He said, I'm going to go be a veterinarian. And I think he has actually since then, he's not practicing anymore. He said, I used to be able to just, you know, be the doctor and be a provider. And he said, now I'm so, my hands are so tied by what everybody else wants. And I'm not able to care for women in the way that I want to. And he said, um, 
at the time I was an ICU nurse and I, I decided to go to anesthesia school after I finished that master's program. And he knew that and he said, all of you advanced practice nurses, you guys are the ones who get to actually like do now, you know? And like, he said, I can't do, I have to send you to an advanced practice nurse who's able to like actually do the job. So wow. that was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but I, I'm very appreciative that he did that. Yeah, totally. So uh, we got to 40 weeks with her, with our, with our little girl, and there was still no sign of labor. And I had never gone into labor and I was starting to worry about that. And then we got to 41 weeks and I was walking a lot and drinking raspberry tea, you know, red raspberry leaf tea and trying to do things to uh, make labor, you know, come and it didn't happen. I even, I drank castor oil twice uh, because I was like, this will work. The internet told me this will work. And of course it did not. It just, you know, gave me diarrhea. It wasn't time, but I did have contractions, but it was more like, you know, my, like my guts, <laughs> you know, it was not, I mean, that's what it's supposed to do, but it was not real labor. So, uh, at 41 plus five, my, I, I graduated, I walked across the stage past my due date and, um, my mother-in-law came into town and she is a labor and delivery nurse. And we had not told her anything about our plans. She kept asking when we were going into the hospital and, um, we just, we're very evasive. She's not very active in our lives. So it was easy to just, you know, oh, we're yeah, eventually we'll go and we need to go. So we had gone out to dinner with them and then we went to go watch uh, a movie. And it was, it was, I still cannot even, it was the worst movie I've seen in my life. And I feel like it put me into labor or something. I just started getting sick to my stomach. I was like, <gasps> The, the camera angles like everything it's just so bad what and, movie uh, was it I just have to know it, it was the Hobbit 2 oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so I went home and I was like I do not feel good I'm super nauseous and my kids had just had a, a stomach bug and I started feeling those symptoms I started feeling I wanted to throw up like I wanted to you know spend all day in the restroom and I did. And I just like everything came out of me and I was super dehydrated and I wasn't contracting or anything. I just felt horrible. So I called my midwife and she came over and started an IV and gave me two liters of lactated ringers. And I felt much better after that, but I had started contracting and they were pretty painful for being so early. I think I was like one centimeter. I, I like being checked a lot. Like, it's like, I just want to know, like, is something happening? Is something happening? And she, you know, was very nice. And was like, you, maybe you're like one centimeter and like one half of a centimeter. <laughs> you know, It's just not, I was not much at all. Um, so she left, she was like, you guys just get through today and, you know, contract and walk around a lot. So, I did that. I walked around my room and contracted. It was really like 18 hours probably of just from my very first contraction of just walking around my room, leaning over my birth ball, listening to my birth playlist, which I still think is the best. 
playlist. <laughs> and uh, I felt really good just being able to be like to feel contractions that my body was making on its own. And I wasn't thinking about rupture at all. I like it never crossed my mind the entire time I was in labor. And my mom had my kids out somewhere in the house and it was just my husband and I in our room. After that very long time, she called and she's like, I'm going to come over and, and check on you. She was pretty far away from me. I'm going to come check on you and see how you're doing because I, I hadn't, I wasn't making, I wasn't making progress. I wasn't saying like, Oh, we need you here now. The contractions were painful, but we weren't seeing any bloody show or any, you know, my water hadn't broken anything like that. So she came over after this very long time of me contracting and um, she checked me and she was like, you're four centimeters. Like you're, you're doing stuff. And I, <laughs> It had been so long, but I was still so grateful that, I mean, four centimeters was a lot for me because the only time I'd ever, ever dilated, it was all artificial. So I felt, I felt really good about it. And she was like, okay, so I think you need to get out and, and do some walking. And I was like, oh, but I'm like, I've just been walking in my room. Like, it's very painful. And she was like, yeah, you have to walk through that pain. Like, just go for a walk in your neighborhood. So it was Christmas time. And it was a beautiful night and my husband and I just walked our neighborhood and through the contractions, she said, do these really long strides to try to, you know, open up and let this baby move down a little bit, get in your pelvis. And, um, I think that really started moving things along. We got back to the house and she had me climb stairs and like two at a time. And I was just, it was excruciating. And, um, she was like, you know, we need to, we need to get this baby to, to move down. So this is the best way to do it. And, um, at one point I was standing in, in a doorway, holding onto the doorway, holding onto my husband. She was supposed to check me to see if I'd been, if I'd progressed at all. And there was some talk of like, it's kind of been a while. So we need to see some kind of progress in order to keep doing this at home, essentially. Like it's, it's been a long time. My husband just like grabbed my face and he was like, you know, even if this is it, like, and we have to go have the C-section or whatever, he's like, like, we got to do this. Like this, this bit of labor together has been like really, really meaningful. Like just to be here doing this together. And like, you're, you're birthing our baby, like now, like you're doing all this work now. And he's like, if this is it, like, I just, it was really good, you know? And I was like, yeah, like, this has been awesome. I feel so powerful, you know, just in the walking around and like actually being in labor on my own. And that just meant so much for him to say to me. That is so sweet and so <laughs> encouraging. He's just like, he's, He's the best thing in the world. So, <laughs> that makes me want to cry. I have tears in my eyes right now. That's so sweet. Yeah. So she checked me and she was like, you're like seven centimeters. Like you're really moving along. So I got in my bathtub and I, um, she was like, is it okay if I, if I break your water, if I check you, you know, um, and break your water. And I was like, yeah, let's just do what we need to do. So broke my water in the, in the bathtub and um, again, she was like, we just need a little more pressure from this baby's head. And like, I think that would really help. So she broke my water. 
I think things kind of picked up there again. And um, I walked around my room a little more and then I went into the bathroom and um, I could feel like my noises changing and my body changing and my brain changing. Like I wanted to go really inward. She was like, all right, come on in. Like, let me, let me check you again. Like you're making some grunting sounds. She was like, you are almost complete. You have a little bit of a lip and like the cervix is swollen in one area. And I'm just going to press on it during a contraction. And we're just going to smooth it away like butter. And I was like, okay, like (laughs) I can do this. And so she tried to do that once. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. Like that's, that is the most painful thing I've felt in my life. And uh, I was like, I'm sorry. I just can't, I can't. She was like, all right, you go like collect yourself for a second and we'll try to let it resolve on its own. And then, you know, if we have to, we'll do it again. It's like, all right. So I went in the restroom because, you know, being on the toilet sometimes feels really great. Just that sitting there just feels really good when you're in labor sometimes, I reached, I reached in and I felt the baby's head and I was like, oh my gosh, everything is just so close. And I felt that little lip on my cervix and I just had a contraction and I thought like smooth, like butter. And I just pushed on that, on that little lip while I had my contraction and the baby was pushing on it. And it just, I felt it like give way. And then I felt that fetal ejection reflex. And I was like, Oh, like something has changed. You know, I, I think this lip is gone. She was like, you did what you, you smoothed it away. Like, what are you doing in there? She's like, come on in, let's, let's come into the room. And she was very good about, you know, she was keeping an extra close eye on me. I think just because of the two C-sections, she was really good about giving me space. Uh, it sounds like she was all up in my business, but these were just little points where, she was checking and wanted to listen to the baby and make sure things were progressing. So we got on the I bench. I think that's awesome that you did that yourself. I mean, why not? If you could feel it and, and do it yourself, it's your body. That's awesome. It was, it was crazy. And it was instinctual, you know, I'm just like, Oh, I mean, I feel this thing and I'm going to do it myself. It's that's one amazing thing about natural labor is like you, you just listen to your body more than I think I ever listened to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I got on the bed and I pushed, I think it was like an hour of pushing and I was on my back, you know, with my legs up, we just like a hospital birth, but she just wanted to be able to listen the whole time and really have a good look on what was going on. And, um, at one point when I was pushing, <laughs> she said, she's like, your baby is moving her little head, like side to side. Like she's trying to like help, you know, like, like squeeze herself out. And I, I haven't seen that since then. I haven't heard that since then about babies, like wiggling their heads side to side. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then we pushed her out and she came to my chest and I just, I just felt so amazing and so powerful. And my husband, he said, he just looked at me. He was like, it felt when you were pushing, he's like, I could feel like the room, like, like expanding, like I felt your power. He was like, you're just so strong, you know, and like seeing the way that he, like that he was so part of this birth and that's his baby. Like this is our birth. And in our other births, he was just this, this spectator, you know, and often like pushed to the side of the room. Like when I have 
I'm, I'm a birth junkie. So I'm always in the birth in the vaginal births, even if the moms don't have an epidural, I'm just like in there in case they need me. But if the dads are off in the corner, I'm always kind of like pushing them in. And I'm like, that's your baby. Like get on in there, you know, like, don't worry about all these doctors and nurses. Like this is about you too, you know? And it's, uh, it was just so empowering for him, you know, to be part of that too. And our postpartum time was incredible. And my midwife, had a rule that she wanted, she wants her patients to stay in bed for five days and, um, just be waited on. And that I loved that rule. (laughs) It was great, especially with two little boys. And I had, I have no idea where I got this idea where I read about it, but I, um, somewhere had read about keeping the placenta and eating it. And I knew that I couldn't, I didn't want to do the pills. You know, I didn't want someone else in my house and like doing all that. I didn't want to get it processed or anything. So the midwife just cut off the membrane and cut it into little tiny pieces and froze it on a cookie sheet. And then when my mom or my husband would uh, make me a smoothie, they just put a little bit of, um, of placenta in there. And I credit that so much with my amazing postpartum time. And every time I tell someone that they're like, that's weird. And you're disgusting, but I, <laughs> I loved it. It was, it was great. I had no idea it was in there and it was, it was just fantastic. That's awesome. I, I, for the record, I have heard of other women doing that too. So it's not that weird or that crazy. Yeah. Of course it's <laughs> not, but you know, there's like 10 of us. So <laughs> um, I think it's great. So um, after, after we had her, we had, you know, we nursed really well. All my kids have have nursed really well. And she was nine pounds. So bigger Uh, than your boys had been then too. Yes. Bigger than the boys. She was born at 42, 42 and one, I think. And, um, after I had her, my mom was like, Oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. All of you guys were born at 42 weeks. And I was like, what, what? Like, that's a very important thing for me to know. Like, I'm I'm thinking that there's something wrong with me and that I can't go into labor. Like we we all are born at 42 weeks. She's like, oh yeah, I was born at 42 weeks. My sister, like our whole family, everyone is born at 42 weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, that's important to know. (laughs) (laughs) Just a variation of normal. It's all within that range of time that babies come. Exactly. So, uh, when that baby was six months old, we moved to Richmond, Virginia, and I was starting CRNA school, my nurse anesthesia program. And, um, it's a super, super rigorous program. And, uh, I had, you know, that whole time we just worked and kept our heads down and got through school. And then in the last nine months of school, of course, I was like, all right, I'm ready to have another baby. And, um, we timed it again so that, I would be having him when I graduated and there was a home birth midwife in Richmond who is a legend and has delivered every baby in the area and everyone knows her. And it's like, Oh, you've had a baby with her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like there's moms having their babies like that. She delivered, she delivered the mom and now the mom's having the baby with her too. She's just, she's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I was so excited to work with her and I had great, great time with her in our appointments. And she was just so interesting and had so many fun birth stories. I'm assuming you were just planning on doing home birth from the start then after that last experience. 
Oh my gosh. It was just, it was the most amazing experience of my life. I like it, it gave me back my like confidence in myself and my, my brain. I, you know, I, when I was with my, my midwife in, in Richmond, actually, she said, what would tell me about your fears about this birth? Like what, what scares you most about, about this birth for my fourth? And I said, honestly, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to do it. And I have to have a C-section and then I'll be broken again. Cause I'm fixed from my last baby. And I don't want to be broken again. Cause I was broken after my boys. And she was like, okay, well, that's no pressure on me. So <laughs> hopefully we don't break you again. Um, she's like, we're going to do everything, everything we can, you know, um, did you experience any of the postpartum anxiety or things that you had felt after your first two sons were born with no, your daughter? No, nothing, nothing like that. And, and I was finishing grad school, starting another graduate program, moving across the country with a family and dogs and our nanny and my mom and like everybody. I mean, it was a big a big time in my life. And I, I did not experience that same level of anxiety at all. Uh, it just, it wasn't the same. I, I have anxiety that I just live with all the time now, you know, and it's, it's just kind of a background thing in my life. That's that comes and goes, but um, nothing like that postpartum anxiety with the boys. So yeah, I just, that's why I felt fixed, you know, and I didn't want to, I don't want to be broken again. So um that during that entire time I had, I'd gone back to hot yoga between babies. And then when I got pregnant again, I, I left hot yoga again and, and went to a studio there in Richmond. And, you know, by that time I was, I was super into yoga. I probably go like five days a week. It was, it's a huge part of my life. I am, I'm so grateful for it again, because I think it, it really helps so much with, with labor and delivery. So uh, with that baby again, I, I was trying to be very careful about gaining weight because my babies just kept getting bigger. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't want to like have a hard time pushing this baby out. So I was trying to be careful and, and work out and just eat right, eat healthfully. And, uh, at 40 weeks, I graduated from that program and walked across the stage. And then actually, I think I was 41 weeks when I graduated and um, you guys really had this timing thing down oh, yeah. by this point. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yes, my professors were like, you're insane. Like this isn't, this is wild. Actually my first day of school, a professor came in and had a slideshow and he was like, look, this is a super rigorous program. And there was one slide that just had a pregnant woman on it with a big red X through it. <laughs> like, oh jeez! Do not get pregnant during this program. <laughs> <laughs> which of course is like not allowed it was a joke whatever but I just went to his office afterwards and I was like I will definitely be having a baby during this program just so, <laughs> just so <laughs> uh, anyways so at um at 41 plus weeks again I was losing my mind and I'm like why isn't this baby coming out like why am I not having any contractions like why what's wrong with me because I was convinced that with my with my daughter that the only reason I went into labor was because I had that stomach bug and I got dehydrated. My body just started contracting because my, my, you know, peristalsis, my guts were contracting. So, um, I was like, I don't, I think I'm broken and I don't think it's possible for me to go into labor on my own. 
my midwife was like, well, that's not, that's not a thing, but, um, you, I have this, this brew that I use, you know, my midwife's brew. She's like, you know, there's the one on the internet, but mine is, mine is different and better. And it's never failed anyone ever. I'm like, okay, well, I I might be your first that it's going to fail. She's like, all right, we'll see. So 41 and a half. She's like, you done? You ready for this? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I just want to like meet my baby. So she did some, you know, stripping of my membranes and, you know, hit pressure points in my calves and my ankles and sent me home with this brew and this whole, um, regimen of what I was supposed to do, you know, drink the thing, go for a walk, take a nap, watch something funny, you know, like, like very specific things I'm supposed to do. So that night I had a, a call with my girlfriends from high school. We have this monthly call and it was Christmas time again. So we were opening our Christmas presents and having our zoom call. And I just started really feeling contractions, which was cool. It's like being in labor with my friends, you know, then I was like, I, you know, I, these are pretty consistent. And they're like, how often are you having these things? I was like, dude, I think they're like every three minutes. Like this is pretty, this is pretty consistent. So Adam started timing them and he said, the timer contraction on my phone says go to the hospital immediately. I'm like, okay, fine. I guess we gotta, guess we gotta call the midwife. So I got off that call and we tucked our kids into bed, called the midwife. And she was like, all right, I'll be there very soon. And she had taught me about precipitous labor. And she was like, you know, sometimes these babies after, especially after like a really long birth, you know, sometimes you've paved the way and the babies just kind of fly out, you know? So here's what you do if you have a precipitous labor. So, um, she was very worried this baby was going to come very quickly. She only lived about 10 minutes away. So she came over and, um, the birth photographer who worked as her kind of her assistant, um, came over and that woman is an absolute saint and like angel on earth. She's amazing. So they were both really good people to have there. They set up this birth tub. The great thing about that midwife, she has all these birth tubs all around her yard. That's where she has her appointments too, is at her house. So all around her beautiful yard are these, these like horse troughs that, uh, women have painted. So when you have a baby in that in that tub, you get a little square and you paint your baby's name on it and you decorate it however you want. So as you're sitting in the birth tub, you see all of these women around you, like all their names and their babies who have been in that tub in that situation. And it's just like, wow, the cool. And if that's your community, like that's our city, those are like women that we, you know, work with. And it was, it was very cool. So, and you get to pick so powerful. Oh, it is. It's, it's awesome. So you get to pick your tub. We brought our tub home two weeks before and it's just, it had just been sitting in my room and she was like, oh yeah, you're, you're going like, you're already, I forget how many centimeters I was. I was, I was pretty far. She was like, you, you can go ahead and get in the tub. Uh, up until that point, I'd been bouncing on this birth ball and in the shower, listening to music. It was all just like, so like ideal and beautiful. We'd set up Christmas lights around my room. We had our birth mix playing and it was just my husband and I and the photographer and the midwife. And I was in the birth tub and I just have the most amazing pictures of this ideal scene where I would have my contraction. My husband would hold my head and like whisper in my ear and they would give a little pressure on my hips. And then I'd sit back and we'd, we'd chat and laugh and talk and go in and out. And I'm like, God, birth is 
fantastic. It's so easy. Like it's just wonderful. And after a couple hours of that, she was like, Hey, so I don't want to like stop our conversations. She was like, but, um, this isn't, you're like really slowing down and nothing's really happening. So she like turned on the lights, drained the birth tub. I like stand up. I'm like, Oh, this is not comfortable anymore. She's like, yeah, we, we need you to not be comfortable. Like get out and walk around. Like things are not happening. You know, like you, you seem to have stalled out. You haven't had a contraction in eight minutes or whatever. I was like, oh no. Okay. So let's do this. She's like, you need to walk the hall in these like big, long, exaggerated wide steps. And I was like, oh, that's, that's super painful. Like the bath was so nice. She was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. So you need to, we need to move this along. So I did that for a while. (laughs) I did that for a while. That hurt so bad. She was like, I need you to do a wall sit. So, you know, like you do it CrossFit or whatever, just sit on the wall with nothing underneath (laughs) you. (laughs) I just have to say, I can't do those not pregnant or not in labor. So that's, that's a challenge right there. I know there's so many pictures of me. It really looks like I'm literally at CrossFit, just like, except I'm naked from the waist down (laughs) with a washcloth on my head, just working out all over my room, um, (laughs) doing squats. So I sat on my toilet backwards. Uh, I was really like trying to make things move along. And she was like, all right, well, you know, I don't like to do things artificially, but do you want me to break your water? Like, do you think that'll help? And this whole time I'm at eight centimeters from the time I got into the tub to the time I got out of the tub, the whole time I'm at eight centimeters and the contractions are extremely powerful, but they're just not coming very often. And the baby's not making any downward movement. She's like, do you want me to break your water? I'm like, yeah. I like flop myself on the bed. I'm like, yes, immediately, whatever you need to do. We just need to get this baby out. This is super intense. So she breaks my water. And again, we keep doing, you know, her her boot camp that she had me doing and trying to get this baby to come out. And, and I had previously been laboring at night and she thought for sure this baby was coming before midnight. We're in our ideal, ideal environment. I love having a baby at night. Our, our previous, our daughter had been born at 2 a.m. It was perfect. Then the sun came up and it was like bright, shining, you know, rays in my room. It was like not this pretty, beautiful scene anymore. I hear my kids out there getting ready to go to school. So they leave for school and I'm still like in this super painful labor and I was exhausted. We were all laying on the bed at one point and, um, she like, of course they were tired too. She was like, you want to be, me to try a little Pitocin? And she's like, we could just like put some in your nose, like just a little, like, you know, on the mucosa. And I was like, yes, whatever. Like, let's just do this. You know, I'll, I'll literally do anything. So she tried that. And then I felt that, that clanging that you feel with Pitocin contractions that just, it feels so powerful and strong, but they weren't coming anymore often. And it wasn't making the baby move at all. So she was like, well, we can, we could try the birth drink again. She's like, I think the birth drink may have just worn off honestly. And that that was the thing that was making you consistently contract. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Except the original birth drink has champagne in it. She's like, we're going to skip the champagne, just like get the actual stuff in it and, you know, get you going. So I chugged that, that thing. Then it really picked up and it was very strong and very fast um, the contractions and we were all in the bed and we'd all fall asleep for like one minute. And then we'd all wake up and everybody put their hands on my hips. And, um, at one point she had done sterile water or sterile. What was it? 
I think it was normal saline injections. Yeah. Um, the little papules on your back. So, um, she used a TB syringe and in the, um, different dermatomes just put in these little tiny, they look like TB welts uh, up my back to deal with the back labor. Cause the whole time I was having very, very, um, strong back labor since I got out of the water. And I feel like those did help a little bit, but you know, nothing beats an epidural. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, I had that going on. And then at one point I, I whispered to my husband and I was like, look, I, like my friend is doing labor and delivery right now, like right down the road. And we could just call him and we could go to the hospital. He could just put in an epidural and we could just like have the baby there really fast. <laughs> I'm whispering this to my husband. I think I am. And the midwife is like, I can hear you. And if you would like to do that, <laughs> that's fine. She's like, but since you're saying that, I feel like it's probably, it's probably time. So she, she checked me and she's like, all right, you have a lip. And I was like, no, not the lip. Like I can't with the lip. She was like, I'm going to smooth it out. You push on this next contraction. And I'm like, oh my God. All right, fine. Let's do it. And we did it. And she pushed. And then I got that, you know, that pushy feeling again, that fetal ejection reflex. And she was like, all right, I need you to get up and get on this birthing stool. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to stay on the bed. That's what I did last time. She was like, get up, get on the birthing stool. Like, this is the position we need you to be in for the safest delivery for this baby. She was like, also your pictures will look much prettier. And I was like, okay, fine. That's I'll do it. So I just flung my body up and got on this birthing stool. You know, I had a couple contractions. She was like, all right, reach down. And we had not found out the gender of this baby uh, because I had two boys, we had one girl, this is going to be our last baby. I was like, whatever we, you know, whatever we have, I'll be happy. I had convinced myself hundred percent. It was a girl. And I had my girl name and I was calling it a girl the whole labor. She's like, talk to the baby, like help the baby come out, you know? So I'm calling this baby, the girl name. And, um, I reached down she's like, right, push. And she helps me deliver this baby. I pull this baby up to my chest. There's, I love my pictures that I have to document all this. And I look between this baby's legs and it is definitely a boy. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not what I expected at all. And uh, this little boy was 10 pounds and he had chunky little shoulders. And at one point my midwife was like, you know, it was oh, little this could have been a shoulder dystocia baby, you know, but this birth stool and the position you're in made it much easier. We had, we had him, we delivered the placenta. We always leave the placenta, um, uh, you know, attached until everything is white and not pulsing. And I just love that. And the baby gets that auto transfusion. And um, a couple of my friends came over after I had him I was like, look at my beautiful baby. And they all just had these like weird looks on their faces. And they're like, oh yeah, good job. You did a great job, whatever. The photographer, after we had him, had sent me a couple pictures, just little previews. And I was like, oh, these are wonderful, you know? And then she sent me the rest of the pictures a few weeks later. And I realized that this, this baby looked so horrible. Like his whole face was completely swollen. He was black and blue, like from his face, just jamming into my pelvis. Some like something obviously rotated and, and shifted at one point and he was able to get his head in the right place, but he was just jamming his whole face that whole time that we were at eight centimeters, he was just banging into my bones. Um, and he, he really, he looked horrible. And 
But all I saw when he was born was this most perfect little cherub, like the best baby ever. And um, yeah, it's not what he looked like. So I guess we have some kind of, you know, some kind it's of the hormones. Yeah. Some like oxytocin goggles, like fear goggles type thing. Um, yeah, Do you know so- if he was, was he posterior during that time then? Do you know? Did yeah. the midwife ever say? Yes. Yeah. He was posterior the whole time. It was, it was very bad, very, very painful. Yeah. But after he was born, he, uh, our, our postpartum time was again, wonderful. And I instituted my own five day rule. You know, I was talking to the midwife. I was like, well, of course I can't get out of bed for five days. Right. She was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, the rule she's like, well, it's not my role, but whatever you think you need. (laughs) (laughs) So five days again, and, um, everything went really well. And again, I was so grateful that I had done all that yoga, you know, for that boot camp that she put me through while I was at eight centimeters for hours and hours. I was very happy I had done that. So had your uh, other kids been around during labor at all, both in this birth and in the previous one? Not at all. No, no. <laughs> that was not my thing. No, <laughs> I could hear them out in the house somewhere and I felt safe knowing that they were out there and they were being cared for. But no, I, I didn't like that at all. But after the baby was born, of course, they all came in. My daughter was so happy to see her little brother. Like she was confused because we all thought it was a girl, but you know, she's very happy to see him. She was three when we had him. It was all just lovely. And I thought, you know, okay, I guess this is a good like way to end having kids. And um, we found out a couple years later that we had to move back to Texas for my husband's job. And I was devastated and 100% did not want to go at all. So I um, negotiated a little bit and uh, negotiated two more babies into my move agreement and told him that, uh, you know, if we're moving to Texas and this is for his job, then I, at the time I was working, I was chief of our practice there in, um, outside Richmond. And I was working like 60, 70 hours a week. And it was, it was really, really intense. And he was like, there's no way we can have another baby with you working this much. So you, when we moved to Texas, I was like, okay, I'll just work less. And, uh, you know, we can have more babies. And he was like, all right, that sounds great. Let's do it. So that's how I negotiated my fifth baby. He actually only wanted two children and I had to do a little negotiating for each one. So we moved back to Texas. Um, we, you know, when we decided to get pregnant, um, with this last baby, we again, got pregnant very easily. And I realized that's not typical. And I'm very, very grateful that with all, all the other stuff we deal with, we so far have not had to deal with, with that issue. And I'm, I'm very grateful. So we got pregnant with him and found out immediately that it was a boy, like at that eight week, you know, at home blood test that you can do, found out that he was a boy. And with this baby, I'd had some issues when we moved. I was not super happy about the move. We moved in the middle of COVID and in the middle of the election and we moved to this new place and it was just, uh, I was not in the best headspace. So I thought, I don't think it's a good idea for me to stop doing hot yoga. Like this is the thing that, that 
like really feeds my soul. So I decided to continue and I checked my core body temperature a few times uh, before we decided to get pregnant right in the middle of a class and realized that I, I mean, I'd been doing it for so many years at that point, my body really regulates it very well. And more, more articles and more research and, and more testimonials had come out about other people doing it. So I felt comfortable. I'd called my midwife that I had with my fourth child. And I said, I, I want to have another baby, but I'm really afraid of shoulder dystocia. Like, I feel like that baby was huge. And I, you know, I watched my diet and I exercise and I don't understand, like, I am not a big person why I keep having these giant babies. And she said, first of all, I wasn't worried about your labor. Like it was, it was long and it was hard, but like that, there was never a point where we were in, in danger with that. So don't worry about that. But if you would like to make this baby smaller, she was like, I think that so many people pass their glucose tolerance test, but are definitely gestational diabetics. And I, I see that in the hospital all the time where we have these huge babies that really don't do well afterwards and need their sugar. And it's obvious that they've just been on this steady, steady sugar diet their whole time in utero. Um, but somehow the baby, you know, there's no gestational diabetes there. And it's like, I think we need, I was talking to an OBGYN about this the other day. I think we really need to change our limits for that. Um, and probably just change our diets when we're pregnant either way. So she said, just from the very beginning, I got this book called, um, like whole food for gestational diabetes or something like that. Um, it was a fantastic book and it was just, was it, about was it real food for gestational diabetes? So. The Lily Nichols book. That's a good exactly, one. Exactly. And, um, so I just, the whole first half of my pregnancy, I just assumed that I had it. And I was very careful about my sugar intake, you know, kept doing hot yoga and going to my, I found a midwife here. It, it went really well. And then we had an ice storm right when I was supposed to have my, my gestational diabetes, the glucose tolerance test. And, um, so I did the test myself at home with my own glucometer and, uh, I failed it. And I didn't, she was like, well, we can do another one. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need to do another one. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that's been this issue the whole time. And I got one of the, um, the patches that you wear, the continuous glucose monitors. And so I got real time feedback all day long on my phone. I, I would just touch my phone to the glucometer and it would tell me what my sugar was. And it was fantastic to know the kinds of foods that spike my blood sugar. Like I could eat a piece of chocolate and it, it wouldn't spike me, but I could eat, you know, four tablespoons of rice and it would, it would skyrocket my blood sugar. And, um, I just think it's probably different for everybody. Really interesting. Yeah. How eye-opening to see that in real time and then be able to make the adjustments for your own body. That's so much more individualized than going in, drinking the drink, having labs drawn and just like that, that typical process that most women go through it. I did the same thing. I checked blood sugar for like, it was only like a week or so during my pregnancy, but I'm actually excited to do that again. I was actually just telling, this is a total side tangent, but I was just telling my midwife, like, oh, I kind of want to do that on a regular basis. Like even when I'm not pregnant, just to see how my body is reacting to different things. Cause it's very insightful. 
Yes, it is. I, I, you know, I'm kind of a type A personality. I think pretty much everyone who does my job is that way. And at one point it was good for me to take it off and let go of it and just give myself a little more leeway after the baby was born. But it was, Mm -hmm. it was very interesting to learn, to learn about my body in that way. So I was very careful whole pregnancy and uh, had a great, very easy pregnancy towards the end. I had scheduled myself at the hospital through 40 weeks. I was like, don't worry. I'm not, I will not be going into labor early, so we'll be fine. And one night I, I was at the hospital, I do 24 hour shifts, you know, in labor and delivery. And I was there and started having prodromal labor and it was just constant, like every three to five minutes, these little contractions, they didn't hurt at all, but it was, it was constant. It was making me crazy. And one of the nurses was like, let's just put you on the monitor. Let's just see, like, let's see what's going on. So I got on the monitor. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I'm just, I'm contracting. This was at 39 and 39 and five or something like that. She was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're contracting. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I need to stay here at this hospital as the only anesthesia provider overnight. And then what if I go into labor and another mom comes in and like for emergency C-section, I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. So I called one of the, you know, one of my partners, one of the people I work with. And I was like, I think I need to switch out. I'm going to go home just in case this is the real deal. So they sent someone in and everyone was like, goodbye, like have fun, have a a fantastic labor. And I was like, yay, I'm going to go home and like be in labor. This is really happening. You know? So I go home and all weekend long, that was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was constant, just kept going, 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 but nothing was progressing. Nothing was happening at all. And it was really, really messing with my mind. Like, why, Mm -hmm. why is this happening? Um, And why isn't it doing anything? So that Monday I was scheduled to work, but we had taken me off the schedule when we thought I was having a baby. And uh, I told one of the docs that we were, well, the doc that that is in our group, hey, I, uh, I didn't have this baby. And he was like, okay, perfect. Well, we have this new nurse anesthetist who's coming. She's just new to the hospital. So if you just want to go in there for the day and um, just kind of be there with her and help her with the computer and anything else, you know, just kind of orient her. Um, He's like, but then there's no pressure. Like if you, if you do end up going into labor, you can just leave, you know? And I was like, okay, that, that sounds great. So I went in and again, nothing, nothing happened, nothing happened. And so one of the nurses, I was pretty desperate at this point, to be honest. Um, And I'd been texting with the doula. A doula just comes with the whole package with this midwife that I had, a doula and a photographer and all this. So I'd been texting the doula. I was told that was the chain of command, just kind of go through the doula and the doula will let the midwife know if there's something, you know, that needs to, needs to be communicated. And she was like, well, we're, we've been in this long labor. So, um, you know, just let us know. It sounds like you're not really in labor. Just let us know. I was like, all right. But I was at the hospital, one of my friends, one of the labor and delivery nurses, I was like, I, like, I'm, I'm going crazy. She was like, you want me to strip your membrane? I was like, heck yes, I do. So <laughs> we went in one of the rooms and she stripped my membranes and um, she was like, yeah, you're, you're like one centimeter, like nothing's happening in there. She's like, I, it was pretty far back, but I tried. I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. And uh, I got through the whole day and um 
the woman that I was orienting didn't really need me there. And so I was like, I guess I'm just going to go home on the way home. I'd been listening to, you know, a million birth stories. And one of them was one of them drinking the drink. And I was like, well, the drink put me in labor last time. I'm going to try to make it myself. So I went to Whole Foods on the way home and I got all the ingredients and I went to the house and um, it was raining. And my husband was like, are you sure you should be doing this? Are you sure you should drink this drink? I was like, I am, I'm desperate. Like I am losing my mind. Like, why am I contracting and nothing's happening? And he was like, I just don't think this is a great idea. I'm just letting you know this. I was like, all right, fine. So I drank the drink and um, uh, immediately was like, oh no, like I probably should have checked with my birth team about this. So I called my midwife and I was like, or I texted her. I was like, here's what happened. I'm really sorry. I did this thing. I should have told you first. And she laid into me just like, this is incredibly irresponsible. Your whole birth team has been in, in births all weekend and we're tired. Like, like I talked to her that morning and she told me that they were done with all the births. And so I'd assume they'd, they'd slept all day, you know, they'd gotten some rest. And she was like, we haven't slept in days. Like this was totally like essentially selfish and irresponsible. So at that, at that point it had really kicked in and I was having very strong, very consistent, fast contractions. But at the same time, my brain was like, no, you can't do this because you just did this super selfish thing. So you cannot have this. You can't be going into labor right now. And I was like, oh God. She was like, well, you know, by the time I eventually talked to her, it had been two hours since I took the drink. She was like, are you having strong contractions? I was like, well, I'm having these consistent ones that I've been having all weekend long. They feel a little stronger. She was like, no, if the drink were working, it would be like, you'd be in labor. And I was like, okay. She's like, we're going to assume the drink didn't work. I want you to take some Tylenol PM, which I've never taken in my life. She's like, take some Tylenol PM and go to sleep. And I was like, um, okay, I'm not going to do that. I was like, all right, fine. I got off the phone and, uh, I just sat down I put my kids to bed and I sat down with my husband and started watching the office. We got through, you know, two or three hours of that. And he was like, I, I got to go to bed. I can't, I'm, I'm super tired. It's like, okay. So it was like 11 PM. He went to bed and these contractions just kept going, kept going the same way they've been going all weekend long. And then at one point I laid down on the floor with my dog I just had like my arm around him, which I never, we're not that close. And I never do that, but I just feel like I need, I felt like I needed somebody there. Like he was my like dog doula. And, um, I, I felt them getting more, I felt them getting stronger and I needed to put some pillows between my legs, like, you know, make my own little peanut ball. And I was like, okay, I don't think I can do this on the floor anymore. I turned off the TV. This is probably one o'clock in the morning. I went into my room and I got in the shower. And, uh, I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this kind of hurting a little bit more. And I spent probably 30 minutes in the shower, got out and I, I woke up my husband. I was like, I, I really think that like, this might be actual labor. Like it's hurting pretty bad. He's like, okay, well I'll call the midwife, I called the midwife. She's like, all right, I'll, I'll start on my way over there. Fill up the birth pub. I called the doula. She didn't answer. I called her a couple of times. She didn't answer. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so my husband starts fiddling with the birth tub. We called my mom. We have two houses on our property and she lives in the guest house and we, uh, called her to come over and she, um, she, you know, starts helping him just fiddle with things. And I'm going out front and opening up the gates so that the, the midwife can get in when she gets there. And, uh, it was raining, you know, it's middle of the night. And I started having these heat and these hot flashes. And I was like, Ooh, geez, 
last time I felt this was with my, with my fourth, you know, like right before I, I went into transition and I was like hanging my head out the window, trying to, trying to get some air. I'm like, wow, it's crazy that I'm feeling this right now. You know, at the beginning of labor, I went back inside and I was in our, in our kitchen. And I was like, oh, I think I need some, some energy. Like I haven't had anything to eat in like eight hours. I'm like, I need some energy if I'm going into labor. So I tried to eat a, a spoonful of uh, peanut butter and immediately got in my mouth. My mouth was so dry. I couldn't, I couldn't get it down. So I spit that out. I drank like two sips of water and then this contraction hit me and just brought me to my knees. And I was like, holy moly, these are really like ramping up. And I went into my room and I got down on all fours next to my bed and I was just swaying back and forth. And I had my ball, like I had, you know, with my other kids, same ball. I'm like, well, this is really, really intense. And um, at one point I started like really vocalizing, which I, which I don't normally do until it's like time to push. And uh, my husband called the midwife and was like, look, I'm hearing sounds from her that are not, these are not like, oh, I might be starting labor sounds. He's like, this is kind of intense. Midwife listened for a second and she was driving here. She lived 45 minutes away. She was driving here and kept us on FaceTime. And she was like, just, just have me like face her. And at this time, my, my mind started shutting off again. And I was just kind of going inside and like going into myself. And I'd heard my, my mom and my husband like fiddling with something behind me. The midwife had said, stop with the birth tub. That's not, we're not doing that. Like you need to be ready in case something happens. And uh, my, my mom and my husband had been making this like nest of uh, uh, Chuck's pads behind me like, like 10 feet away from me. And they're like, all right, we're ready for you to come over to this like birth area we'd made for you. And I was like, I, I literally, I cannot move. I can't move from this position on all fours next to my bed. They're like, all right, I guess we'll move this over here for you. <laughs> so they move it underneath me. And right at that moment, I felt a pop and my water broke and uh, I felt back and um, I felt my baby's head. And I was like, oh, oh shit. Like this is it. And um the midwife was like, okay, I need you to, she said, lean back on your heels and just make horsey sounds like just through those contractions, like, you know, breathe, do not push. So I tried that for, you know, 30 seconds and I was like, nope, nope, I, that's not going to work. So I went back on all fours and my body was like, it's time for you to have a baby. And I just pushed and I, it was not even like me pushing. And I reached down and I um, I remembered my precipitous labor lesson with my third uh, child and I, I came up on one knee and had my other foot on the ground and stood up straight and I had my baby's head in my hand. I can like still feel his little head in my hand. And um, after his little head came out, I was looking down at him and then I waited a second and, and took a breath and then his shoulders rotated and I just delivered him into my hands and pulled him up onto my chest and sat back on my heels and the midwife was still on the, on FaceTime. And I just waited for her to get there. And I just looked down at him and, you know, like roughed him up a little bit. Like I was like, Oh, does he make enough noise? And he just, he didn't scream. He wasn't stunned. He just kind of like looked up at me and whatever instinct I have, I'm like, Oh, it's time for you to nurse. Like I'm trying to like stick my nipple in his mouth and midwife's like, he's good. He's good. Just like, you know, hold him. You're good. You've got this. She got there and delivered the placenta and she stitched me up and that I was so, so grateful for her. I just needed a couple of stitches, but I'd had a hard time with tearing in my, with my giant 10 pound baby with my fourth. So 
was nice to be stitched in the proper fashion with this one. I didn't have any issues. Then I got in my, my herb bath, which I had learned from my fourth and I wanted it for my fifth. And we just kind of laid there in this brown water and looking at each other. And he was eight pounds even. And it was, he just, he was perfect. And I, it took me a, a while. And I think I'm still kind of processing just how fast it was. So at 1.30, I got out of the shower. He was born at 2.10. It was, it was very, very fast. And it was so empowering. Like I, I delivered him myself, but I was so used to my husband being such a huge part of labor, you know, and to not have him there was kind of, he was there, but he wasn't like there, you know, like I delivered this baby. Like it was, it was, it was cool. But afterwards I had some issues with um, like, Hey, like I, I, part of me knew I was in labor before that, but I was afraid to call the midwife because she had kind of, you know, yeah. And I, you know, even we have patients who mess up all the time and who do dumb stuff all the time. And never once when you're in labor is never the time to be like, you've really done something wrong here, you know? And honestly, like, I'm not sure I really even did something so wrong there. Like that was what my mind, my body, my everything told me to do with my fifth baby. Like I, this wasn't new to me. Like I, my body knew what it wanted and it needed. And I don't, I don't regret it. And for a while I was like, Oh, I regret this. I shouldn't have done this terrible thing, but I didn't do a terrible thing and I don't regret it. And it was the right thing. And I probably shouldn't have been dressed down for it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's, you have that autonomy and control over your own body, your birth, everything. How, how are you feeling when you kind of realized like, oh, the midwife isn't actually going to make it? Was there some fear there or were you feeling okay about that? It was like, I had already moved into that, like inside your mind space where you're just like an animal in the woods, you know, you're just like on autopilot. And I didn't really feel like I I needed, I needed anything. I just needed my baby, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was no fear again. Like, like I was so worried about the rupture with my third and there was never that thought in my mind. And I think now about like having an unattended birth and I'm like, Oh no, but like, what about all these millions of things, you know, but that never just never worried me. I wasn't worried about hemorrhaging or dystocia or any of those things. It just all, I was like, no, I've got this. Like, I know, I know that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And birth is set up to work with yeah. nobody there. I mean, that's that's how it was for a long, 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 long time before women started going to the hospitals. You were either attended by, like maybe there was a midwife in your community or your sisters, mothers, aunts, cousins, whoever it was, but there wasn't always this like professional person that came to your home to help you have a baby and birth was still working a majority of the time through all of that. Right. So, yeah, I was just curious after that conversation with the midwife and kind of feeling like a little hesitant to even want to call her in the first place, how how that kind of played out and how you were feeling about her not being there, but then coming afterwards. Yeah. I, even when I called her, I just, I was like, I'm so sorry, but I think I'm in labor. And she was like, what's your pain on a scale of zero to 10? And I said, six. Afterwards, she told me that um, 
that it's very, it's a pretty consistent thing that a woman who's had natural labor before, when you ask her her pain scale zero to 10, um, that it usually, it, it correlates pretty well to how dilated she is. And um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. She said, she's just seen that over and over again, because you really understand the pain scale when, when you've done it before, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll have patients and I'm like, how's your pain? And they're texting and they're like, it's a 10. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was, that was a really interesting thing. And um, for the postpartum period for that baby, I had read a book um, uh, called the first 40 days. Oh, and mm-hmm. it was fantastic. It's all about like how different cultures around the world lie in after they have a baby and just, uh, how they're cared for by their families and friends. And, um, we tried to do that, but I'm, I think I lasted 21 days, which I think is a very long time in our society. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And it was just, it was lovely. Yeah. It's really good. And how long ago was this baby? This was within the last year or so, wasn't it? Yes. He is 10 months old now. Okay. So still kind of within, I know a lot of people think of postpartum time as like the first three months or first 12 weeks or whatever it is before you go back to work type of thing. But really that first whole year, there's so much that happens. So you're still really kind of in that postpartum time now. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're planning our, you know, my one more negotiated baby. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this fall we might start trying, but yeah. Awesome. I do have one question just kind of all encompassing all of your births. You had kind of spoken to not really feeling that immediate bond with, I think it was your second child mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Yes. Um. So having had that experience and then having these three home births, how did that compare just with the bonding experience and everything with each of your babies? The it was, it was completely different. I mean, we, I felt like I'd been through the wars with these babies, you know, and and what we'd gone through, but interestingly, interestingly enough with this fifth baby, it was, it was that same kind of feeling of just like, like, where'd you come from? You know, like it was just out of nowhere, like, Oh, there's a baby here. And it was, I think part of it is just like how fast it was like, Mm -hmm you know, but it was, it was definitely not the same thing. I think a lot of that impaired bonding was the trauma of, of, you know, having this, another C-section and not going through the birth experience the way that, that I had, that I think I had wanted to and not really even realized it. Yeah. So that's that. And also just to, in case my son ever listens to this, my second son and I are like best friends. (laughs) (laughs) we are super, super, super tight. So, you know, it doesn't really, I don't think it really matters what happens in that first little bit of time as far as like, well, I'm guilty. I feel guilty because I'm not bonding with this kid. Like, you know, I think so much of it is just the hormones too. Like you were saying, going through the labor process and you and baby both are giving off those hormones after birth. So it's not anybody's fault or anything that anyone is doing. I think it's just sometimes our our home, our hormonal blueprints just don't line up the same way that they would with like a completely undisturbed physiological birth where you're getting all of that feedback between you and baby. 
Right. But I know, I mean, I, that's not the first time that I've heard that. And I definitely felt that way with my son after my C-section, like not having that immediate bond. But I do think it's something that a lot of moms feel guilt over because like, well, why wouldn't you bond with your baby right away? That's your baby. But that's mm -hmm. not always something that you can necessarily control. Right. Well, the last question that I always ask everybody is for any women out there that either maybe just had a C-section or they've had one at some point in the past and they're currently pregnant or wanting to be pregnant at some point in the future, what advice would you have for them or just something that you've learned along your journeys and birth stories that you would want to share with them? I think um, just believing in yourself, in your body and in whatever, you know, whatever your heart's telling you, you know, and sometimes you know, I, I do repeat C-sections all the time for my patients and they're so happy and that's exactly what they want. And that, that is the birth that they've chosen and that makes them feel good. And if that's what you want, like, great, you know, but if you're interested in doing, you know, a, a VBAC or a home birth, like find someone who aligns with you because, um, having a provider who's not on your side, who's not really on your side, who isn't really in your corner, um, can make it, can make it pretty impossible. Just trust yourself and find somebody who is, who's feeling the same things that you're feeling, you know? Well, thank you so much for being willing to share your journey with us. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me through all of these very long stories. <laughs> <laughs> They've been great. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.